We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Mark, and I am a neighbor and a friend of Maranatha Church. And um, Pastor Aaron is not here today. And uh, just would ask, wherever you're at out, out there um, listening, would you keep Aaron and his wife Beth in your prayers? Um, as her mother went to be with the Lord. I'm sure everybody knows that here recently, um, well, we're still dealing with it. Uh, we just had a vote, and uh, it's all over the news. It's, it's everywhere. And on top of that, um, we've, uh, we're dealing with a pandemic, and that's all over the news, too. And if you're from Cedar Rapids, on top of that, we had a derecho, and it's, 2020 has been a very interesting year. Amen. With that said, when the pandemic kind of broke loose in March earlier this year, started a, I was challenged by a friend to give my first hour. And the last time I spoke here, I'd mentioned that I started journaling and uh, started giving Jesus the very first hour of my day. That was 194 days ago. It's the best thing I've done. And, and through that process, um, I, believe the, I believe Jesus started showing me something about his life. We're going to get into that in just a, just a few minutes. But before we do, I want to say this. Believers, Christians, I think that we have a pace problem. I think we have a pace problem. Listen to this was released in the New York Times in 2014. The, the title is Society's Self-Destruction. Listen to what it says. A patient arrived late, tossed his cell phone on the sofa and pleaded, can you help me control my phone? It's ruining my life. What is supposed to help us is hurting us. What is supposed to free us ends up enslaving us. That's the paradox of addiction. Whatever the lure, it seems it's good, so positive, so helpful, and so harmless, and then we get hooked. So is society, caught in a chaotic, frenzied spiral of new addiction. People are chasing money, power, success, a wilder, faster pace of life. Just like any addiction, people are out of control in their behaviors, feelings, and thinking, yet they believe they're normal. That is progress in America. You always move forward, and there, there are... No limits how far you can go, how fast you can get there. Don't pause, don't reflect. You win, you win or lose. You'll fall behind and you'll fall if you stop moving. Fast at any cost is the mantra of stressed and distressed American society today. A few other statements from the article. This is success in America. Progress equals fast, which equates success, a recipe for addiction. Society is now dominated by beliefs Attitudes and ways of thinking that elevate the values of impulse, instant gratification, loss of control to the first line actions and reactions. I want it now or do it now. Our valued mantras of today with it person, young or old. Add to instant action and belief that there are no limits to human power, no limits to action, no limits to success. Fueled by 
the grandiosity and omnipotence of these beliefs, people get high on the emotions of endless possibility with no need to ever stop and slow down. What are the costs of these speed addictions? We live under the weight of demands, real and imagined, that are debilitating. We see an alarming increase in stress-related disorders of all kinds for all ages, beginning with elementary school children who are struggling with obesity, depression, anxiety, attention disorders, and all kinds of learning abilities, a list of problems for all ages. Note, as we close the thought, researchers note that this push for speed is changing the way people think. But finally, the biggest cost that we've encountered already is the human, is the harm to the human relationships. Instead of enhancing close bonds, technology has facilitated avoidance of direct person-to-person contact, which takes too much time. We maintain the illusion that we're connected more closely than ever by the number of likes that we get on Facebook or we accumulate. But it is all fast now, this instant. Everything is an impulse. Christian, we have a pace problem. And that pace problem is also in the body of the church. Have you ever noticed, why does it seem like the church responds to the world instead of the world responding to the church? As we study the scripture, Jesus didn't respond to what the world was doing. He responded to what the word said, what God's word said. And the reason that I believe that Jesus was able to do that and what I believe through the finding and studying of his word is because I believe that Jesus Christ lived by the kingdom pace. This is what I mean by that. Kingdom is an eternal kingship of God, the realm in which God's will is fulfilled. Pace means a rate of movement, rate of progress, to set or to regulate the pace of, to go before, to set an example for. Believers, listen to that. The realm in which God is fulfilled, to set an example for. Are we setting the example for the world, or are they setting the example for us? A kingdom pace is this. The discipline at which a follower of Christ submits to the will of God, to the ways of God, for the glory of God, as they live in pace with the Holy Spirit of God by seeking first the kingdom of God. Kingdom pace. When we pray, we ask God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will being done in heaven and on earth, Jesus Christ lived by a different pace than the world did. Greg mentioned it this morning of the word rest. Church, I remember how, how this all came to pass. These, what we're going to talk about today, these seven disciplines that we, we watch and we observe in, in the scripture, how Jesus lived day by day in this world of hurry and chaotic, even during his time. I remember I was walking through the church of Hillside Westland Church shortly right before the pandemic hit. And I had just read in Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus talks about us exchanging his yoke and taking our yoke and that his burden is light and he is gentle and humble and we come and we learn from him. And I'll never forget as I was walking through the sanctuary of that church, the words that just came into my soul were this when Jesus made this offer, let me teach you. Can that be a more personal imitation than that? Let me teach you, church, the scholar of all scholars, the know-it-all of all know-it-alls, offers to teach us rest. Not just some kind of rest. Listen what that word means 
in Greek, anapeo. This is what that means. Cessation, refreshment, rest. Christ's rest is not a rest from work, but in work. Not the rest of inactivity, but, but of the harmonious working of all the faculties and affections of our will, our heart, our imagination, and our conscience, because each has found in God the ideal sphere for its satisfaction and development. Brothers and sisters, listen to that. We rest in the work of what Jesus Christ has done. In other words, we rest in his work and his ways and his wills, not ours. We abide. Remember, apart from him, we can do nothing. And when we experience this anapeo that Jesus talks about, with that comes the rest of God. Not only comes the rest of God, but it comes with the pace of what I believe that the scriptures reveal to us and what I hope today while you're at home or whether you're, you're in the sanctuary with me today, is that we learn to walk and serve God by the kingdom pace because I believe it is a real thing. Before we get into the first, again, I, I just want to, I just, before we go into these seven things that we notice about Jesus, I want to make a statement. You know, I've never been this one to believe that you can, if you do these three steps, it's going to just cure everything. Or if you take these seven steps, you're going to do this. I've seen Christian writers write all kinds of things. Take these ten steps and you're going to do this. Yada, yada. Listen, friend, I'm not here to sell you on that. Here's, here's what I can tell you. In fact, you, if you, you'll need your Bible today and you'll need something to write with. Because there's a lot here. There's, there's these seven words. And this is what my challenge would be to you. Be a Berean. Test me out. Test me. Listen, test, better, test God's word. Look at how Jesus lived his life. Listen to these two beautiful words that he said. Follow me. Follow me. If Jesus told us to follow him, then he taught us what to do, how to do it, at what pace to do it as. I love this. Listen what Jesus says. He did what he saw the Father doing. He said what he heard the Father say. He knew that God loved him, and he lived by the will of God. See, Jesus always lived his life by the pace God called him to. Nothing kept Jesus from getting off course or caused him to hurry. Nothing. Amazingly, he did this while people pulled at him in every direction. Jesus lived his life by the kingdom pace. He lived his life by grace. Jesus told us to follow him. And church, as we dive into these things, I want to I reassure all of us with this. If he commanded us to follow him, then he showed us exactly how to do it. Think about that for a minute. If he said, follow me, then he taught me. Amen. This brings God much glory and honor when we live our lives by God's pace and not the pace of this earth. With that said, the first thing that I noticed in Scripture about Jesus, number one, was his posture. I heard that mentioned this morning about his posture. And Greg, when you mentioned about rest, I got all giddy. Because I'm like, we didn't even talk before. You know, Craig called, Greg called me and 
hey, would you like to preach, brother? That's like asking a kid if a kid wants a piece of candy. I said, yes, I'd like to. What Greg didn't know is I'm on the other side of having COVID myself, and um, I allow, it, it allowed me those, those weeks that I was locked down allowed, allowed me a lot of time to even to think through how am I living my life. And number one, we're going to look at posture. And you'll, you'll notice on the screen charts that I've um, given you a, a number of verses this is the one that I want to focus in on when, when we think about posture is this. And, and as we get ready to read Philippians chapter 2, uh, 3 through 5, here's a question I'd like you to think of, and then I'll, then I'll read the verse. But, but listen to this. Um, what if we woke up every day, and this is the first thing that we thought about um, before we entered into the Word of God. What if we thought of this? What's our posture before Jesus on this day? Are there things that that we need to be emptied of or freed from from the day before? Are we experiencing the fruits of the spirits, the fruit of the spirit, I'm sorry? Are you battling fear, pride, or lust in your soul? Pause and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you into the truth, to reveal the posture of your heart and your soul before God, and then share the overflow of your heart with Jesus so the Holy Spirit guide you. See, I believe, church, that Jesus carried this incredible posture of humility before God and before man. And I believe because of the posture of humility that he carried and that he, and that he taught us um, how to walk and how to live before God and before man is why Jesus was able to walk by the kingdom pace. Notice what Paul says. He says this, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for out only for your interests, but take an, in, take an interest in others too. And notice this, you must have the same attitude that Christ had. Our attitude, what is our attitude? Church, just, let's just be honest, and I've been guilty of this myself. Pull up Facebook and look at the posture even amongst Christians. I'm not talking about people that don't know Jesus. I'm talking about those that have professed Jesus Christ is Lord, they fight and they devour each other the same as people that don't know him over a political figurehead. May God have mercy on us. Mankind will never save us. There will never be a king, there will never be a, a person on this side of eternity that sits in a political office that will ever bring peace to humankind. Only Jesus Christ himself will make it right. That should that should give us a lot of focus on where we put our focus on and what we put our focus to. Again, do we respond to the world or do we respond to the word? If we're responding to the word, imagine if we were more humble in our walks before God. So Jesus' posture was one of humility. Listen, he didn't make it an issue about him being God. He didn't walk around going, I'm God. I'm going to walk on water and do all these sorts of things because I'm just amazing. Give me 100,000 likes. He humbled himself. Jesus, he, he treated people as they were better than himself. Think about that. Even his enemies that he knew would betray him, he humbled himself and loved them. He was patient and kind. He lived out the very thing that the apostle Paul preached in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, his posture. Brothers and sisters, before we move on to number two, what's your posture? May I ask this? Don't assume that you know about you 
Maybe ask those that are closest to you. Are you humble? Number two, priority. Imagine if we have a humble heart before we go to the throne of God, we can go to the throne of God with a humble heart, with boldness, knowing that God was going to hear us. We're going to be looking at Matthew 6.33. And while you're turning to Matthew 6.33, you're writing that down, I want to ask again a prompting question. Jesus reminds us that seeking his kingdom and living righteously is our first priority, numero uno. In Jesus, brothers and sisters, we have everything that we need, and without him, we can do nothing. It means when I wake up in the morning, if I'm checking the posture of my heart, and then, and then after I've emptied and, and God empties me and I, and I lay out before him in humility, then I go to him and I seek him first. I seek him first for that day because I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring and I can't change what happened yesterday. But I'm going to seek God that day. And, I'm, and, I, and what I want to do is seek his kingdom. And so John 15, 4 asks us, are we abiding in his life? Do we abide in his letter? Do we abide in his love? Because his kingdom will provide everything I need for that day. And as I seek him through his word, what is the Holy Spirit teaching me? As you know, brothers and sisters, this is what Matthew 6, 6.33 says. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously. And all these things will be added unto you. All these things mean all these things. And in context of that verse, you know what relates to that verse or reminds me of today, church? People worried about what they were going to eat. They worried about what they were going to wear. They worried about what they are going to have. Because, see, they were off pace. Because they were so worried about what everything looked like on the outside and what they had. And they were comparing themselves to their neighbor instead of loving them. And then on top of that, had people pounding them to death with religious ridiculousness. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. For in the kingdom of God is the pace of God. And either, listen, Paul tells us this in 2 Peter, sorry, Peter tells us this, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, God has given us everything we need for a life of godliness. Do we believe that? Do we really believe the kingdom of God possesses everything we need? Because if we do, we'll seek it first before we seek our own ideas. So number one is posture. Number two is Jesus' priority was the kingdom first. Number three, Jesus was a man of prayer. There's so much in this. Turn to Matthew chapter 6, if you would. And again, um, Matthew chapter 6, verse, uh, going, I'm going to go with 9 through 14. If you want to turn there, you want to write it down, you're at home. And listen, I'm just going to read. I'm going to break down. This prayer, when the disciples came and they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. I'm just going to break this down. Jesus provided for us a model prayer. Notice, I'm going to break this down in verse 9. So prayer is our communion with God. With reverence, we recognize and respect his authority and holiness. Our Father in heaven. That's acknowledging that God is in heaven and we are honoring him and respecting his authority and his holiness. And here's how we know that. Because we're seeking him first. Because our hearts have, are in a humble posture. 
And so we see, we, we go from his authority and his holiness, then we acknowledge that he is sovereign in all things and that he alone is our provider and sustainer. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We confess our need for forgiveness uh, as we forgive those who've sinned against us. And then finally, we ask for God, God for guidance so that we yield to the Holy Spirit and not yield to temptation, the evil one. Here's the importance of this prayer. It is our daily communion. We just did communion together. Prayer is our communion with our Father who is in heaven, who will, whose will right now is being done at Maranatha Church, at your home, on your recliner, on your couch, wherever you're at, all over this world. I want you to know something. God's will is being done. What are we afraid of? Why are we, why are we so rattled in the body? It seems to me that looking at this prayer is that when we acknowledge who God is, our concern should be of not allowing ourselves to fall in temptation to the evil one. And you know what the evil one wants the body to be concerned about? What's going on in the world. A world that is perishing. We are not of this world. Church, you know what this reminds me of? It's almost like it reminds me of maybe what we're experiencing is what... Uh, the Israelites experienced when they really thought Egypt was better than the promised land. They always strove to go back into slavery. Why do we do that? Egypt will never give us, Egypt, our Egypts will never give us what we need. Only the promised land will give us that. Jesus' posture was humility. His priority was the kingdom He taught us prayer so we could commune with the Father. Number four, Jesus had a purpose every day. Every day. Church, so do we. We have a purpose. This morning, we we have a purpose. And in that purpose, here's where I want you to go with me, if you would. Go to Romans chapter 11, verse 36. And as you're going to Romans chapter 11, verse 36, again, I'm going to read... Just a prompting thought. I love this. Greg. Greg's with me, by the way, in the church. So if you're while I'm talking with Greg, it's odd for me to preach to empty seats. So and messes with a man who has ADD. Anyway, um, listen, I love this. Jesus says this. Greg, he said, Jesus taught us to focus on today, right now, because tomorrow will have enough worry in itself. Isn't there a lot of freedom in that, that I don't have to worry about what happens tomorrow? Because the truth is, I don't even know if I'll be here tomorrow. Amen? So my focus is, God gave me this day, he gave me daily bread for this day that came straight from the kingdom of God, which means in that daily bread, through the word of God, I have everything I need for this day and I'm lacking nothing. Doesn't that make you want to shout? And I don't have to worry about tomorrow because what God gave me for his daily bread for today is for today. It means it's going to sustain me and keep me and persevere me through this day. Makes you want to shout, don't it, sister? He taught us 
to, he says, focus on today because tomorrow has enough worry in its own. Listen, our purpose is to love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, our soul, our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. So when we think about our purpose, what if every day we thought about this? God, who are you asking me to share your love with? Who are you asking me to be a good neighbor to? Again, the world's not worried about being a good neighbor, friends. It's not. The world's not worried about that. Listen, the king of the world is the enemy. And Jesus laid it out in John 10.10. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And I just want to make this proclamation right now. Everything the world offers will kill, steal, and destroy life. Jesus came that we may have life and life abundantly. Jesus is the only one that will give life. There is no in-between road. There is no such thing. And our purpose is to Love God with all our hearts, all our mind, all our soul, our strength. Love our neighbors, ourselves, And it sums it all up. I believe Paul sums it up right here in Romans eleven thirty six. I love this verse. It says, for everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. And then Paul slaps an amen on the end of it. Because what else can you say but amen? Everything, church. Listen, everything a part of who you are, everything a part of who I am, the very breath of my lungs that I'm breathing right now, everything, the sight that I see, everything, what I taste, all the faculties of who I am, everything in me came from God, and everything is meant to go back to him for his power, his intended glory forever. And we might as well get used to doing it on this side of eternity because we're going to be practicing it in eternity when we get with him. Everything, all of our purpose is for God's glory. Notice, church, that Jesus embodied this. Notice I want to go back. You know what it started with? A posture of humility. A priority that made God's kingdom number one. Jesus was a man that communed with God consistently. And Jesus was a man that lived with purpose. And you know what his purpose was focused on? Another point that I just want to emphasize he was worried about what was going on in the kingdom in the world in the word not what was going on in the world we are not of this world we're in it but we're not listen it's not a part of who we are number 5 perseverance if you would go to second peter chapter 1 second peter chapter 1 starting with verse 3 The entire, here's some thoughts, church. The entire Christian life is defined by overcoming and being victorious over the power and pressures of sin in this world. I want to read that statement one more time. By the way, um, if, if you're at home and you're writing these things down, here's what I'd love for you to do when you circle the word perseverance. Go into Revelation chapter 1 and chapter 2 and and. Make a note. You, I give you permission to write in your Bible. It's okay. Jesus is not going to be upset. And I want you to circle the word victorious and overcome. Why would Jesus tell us those who are victorious and overcome? Why would he tell us that if we weren't going to have a battle? Why would he say that? Why would he waste his time? The reason that he told us this church 
is so we wouldn't fall into the things that we fall into of getting distracted by what the world is doing. We are to be, we are to be the ones that set the trend, not follow the trend. Listen to this. The entire Christian life is defined by overcoming and being victorious over the power and pressures of sin in this world. Today, listen, wherever you're at, including myself, I want you to know this. Today, you will. I can guarantee it. I promise it. Because we're in this broken world. You're going to encounter a trial, a tribulation, or a distraction of some sort. Now, Some days are worse than others. However, the trials and tribulations and distractions from the world, because of our faith, should make us rejoice. You get that? When our faith, listen, causes trials, tribulations, and distractions because we're rubbing up against what the world is doing, and we are ridiculed for that, it should cause us to praise God. In other words, that means when things come against us, We praise God because we're being just like Jesus. However, the trials and tribulations and distractions caused by our sin, us committing sin, should lead us to repentance. Because, listen church, to persevere, we must be free from the weight and bondage of sin. Therefore, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal any unconfessed and unrecognized sin and then receive God's grace and his mercy so that we can serve him victorious for what this day? Remember, truth always leads to freedom. Listen, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. That means this. The Holy Spirit guides us into one door. And that door leads to one place, and that's freedom. You know what a good visual picture of that was? When they were standing at the Red Sea, God parted the waters. That was the door to freedom. Church, that was the door to freedom. Matter of fact, think of all the times that the water was there since God created it, all the mud and everything else from the years of moisture. And when they went through, they went through on dry land. You know why? Because God is so con- God is concerned and he wants his children free to worship him and honor him. But the only way we can really persevere over sin is when we're free from sin ourselves. So, Rejoice if you're being attacked for your faith. Repent if you're struggling with sin. Here's the beautiful thing about perseverance with Jesus. He never had to to repent. He never had to ask for forgiveness. You know why? Did everything right. And you know what they did? They put him on a cross and they murdered him. You know why? Because we don't like the truth. Because the truth hurts. And people wanted, they wanted to build their own kingdom with their own ways, do their own things. And you can see that all throughout Exodus. They always wanted to go back to their Egypt. Because they wanted to go back to a pace of life that all it would do is kill, steal, and destroy someone else. By the way, someone else is always pushed on the bottom so someone else can be on top. Not in God's kingdom. He levels the playing ground. As you all have heard, like, listen, it's probably cliche, but listen, The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all could probably say that in our sleep, amen? But it's true. Jesus was incredible by his perseverance. And we know that. And we know that. And I'll just quickly read. And we have two more to wrap up. 
But listen what Paul, listen what Peter says. I love this. By his divine power, God has given us everything that we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desire, perseverance. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. How? Supplement your faith with the generous provision of moral excellence. Moral excellence with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love for everyone. Everyone, church. That even means your enemy. The more that we grow like this, the more productive and useful we will be and our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But listen, those of us who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting they've been cleansed from their old sin. You know what that's a good picture of? Israel forgot what God did for them, so they clamored to go back into Egypt. How could they forget what God did? How could we forget the salvation that Jesus gives us? So dear brothers and sisters, it says work hard to prove that you're really among those that God has called and chosen. And tell me, church, when I read these next words, that it's not the most beautiful thing that comes out of the Scripture when Peter says this. Do these things, and you will never fall away. Jesus modeled humility. He calls us to humility. Jesus himself sought the kingdom first. Why? Because that's where God's priority would have been was in the kingdom. Jesus was a man of prayer. He communed with the Father. All throughout scriptures we see how Jesus continually went to be and talk with the Father. Jesus was a man of purpose. His purpose was to bring God glory. John 17, he says, I finished the work that you called me to do. I've glorified you here on this earth. Listen, he called out. This, isn't this amazing? He called out the fact that he finished the work. Even before he had died on the cross, he called it out and said, it's good as done. I love that verse. It's good as done. I've glorified you here on this earth. Accomplishing the things that you called me to do. Jesus persevered. I love this next one. Petitions. If you would go to Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. As you're turning there, I want to read a prompting thought. What do you need to bring before the kingdom of God that is beyond your ability to achieve or receive? We pray to commune with God and fellowship with him. However, we petition God to call on him to do what only he can. Search your heart and place your petitions before Jesus and thank him for his answer. I love this. I love this. Church, listen what the Apostle Paul says. I'm going to back up to verse 4 because I love this. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say again, rejoice. You know why I love that before I go on reading? You know, let, let me explain why that's so powerful that, that Paul says that. Because Paul knew what it meant. The joy of the Lord was his strength. See, if you don't have joy, you have no strength. They're like best friends. It's like good news and great joy. How's your joy? Like, again, if you think about the very first humility and all these things, when we petition God, 
We petition God when, and we know that we cannot accomplish or receive unless God intervenes. He goes on to say, let, every, let everyone see that you're considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord's coming soon. The Apostle Paul was telling us that we are to quit having a temporal mindset and have an eternal perspective. The earth, the world always will have a temporal. It's, it's going to be here today and gone tomorrow. And Paul's saying, set your mind on eternity. Set your mind in the kingdom where eternal things are happening. And then he says this, don't worry about anything. What do you mean by that, Paul? He means don't worry about anything. Don't worry about what the doctor says. Don't worry about what people say in this world. Don't worry about anything. Why do we not worry? Because he tells us, instead, pray about it. And then he says this, tell God what you need and then thank him for what he's done. Here's the beautiful thing about that. You don't thank someone until you receive something. Here's what Paul's saying. Where's your faith meter? When you pray, receive, and thank God. And here's, here's the thing that we need to know about this verse that I love about this. Sometimes God's going to say no, and that means we ought to praise him. The church, listen, a no with God is the best answer. You know where, you know where we can sum that up? How God made the word no one of the most powerful words ever? Is when Jesus was in that moment of despair. And he was crying out to God and he knew he was about to be separated from his father. The father said, no. You have to do this. You have to do this. And because God said no to the son, we have salvation. So if God says yes or God says no, we rejoice and we thank him. And he says this, then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard our hearts and our minds as we live in Christ Jesus. Church, I want to read that again. You'll experience God's peace when you accept God's answer, when you accept God's purpose, when you accept God's pace. That's when we experience and it'll exceed anything we can understand. Because it will guard our hearts and our minds as we live in Christ Jesus. So church, listen, it's okay. When there's things that we just don't understand what God's doing or when we see things happening in the world around us, it's not, we're not to respond to the word, world. We are to respond to God's word. And here's what God's word tells us. Don't worry about it. Pray. Petition God. And then thank him. What a powerful reminder. What a powerful reminder. And then finally, I believe every day should be a day of praise. Jesus was a man of praise. I'd like you guys, we're going to go to Psalm 95. As you're going to Psalm 95 and we're going to wrap up here. This morning, brothers and sisters, as we're going there, before we stop at Psalm 95, I'm getting my place there. I want to read, I'd like you to jot a verse down. I didn't have it on here, but it's Psalm chapter 5, 
one through three. And as we get ready to read Psalm 95, listen to, listen to this. this. This to me is like, let this just warm over you. Oh Lord, hear me as I pray. Pay attention to my groaning. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God, for I pray to no one but you. I love verse 3. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I pray and bring my request to you, and I wait expectantly. You know what? Do we really expect God to answer when we pray? Because we should. Do we really expect it? Or do we just throw it out there and say, oh, we don't know. Well, you know what? You know a great way to do that? Track your prayers. Because he listens. God listens. And I love Psalm 95. Psalm 95, I'm going to read one through seven. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him. For the Lord God is a great God, a great king above all gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The sea belonged to him, for he made it. His hand formed the dry land too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before our Lord and our maker, for he is God. We are the people that he watches over, the flock under his care. So to summarize, as ask the band to come up this morning. Brothers and sisters, there is such a thing, I believe, as a kingdom pace. And it starts with our posture. And it needs to be one of humility because that's what Jesus modeled. And number two, the kingdom must be our priority, not what's happening in this world. Number three, we need to be people of prayer because Jesus was a man of prayer. Number four, our purpose is and always will be to glorify God from now and eternity. It'll never stop. And we're to love our neighbors, ourselves. Number five, we're to persevere in all we do because God created us to be overcomers. Number six, we petition God. We acknowledge there's things that are beyond us and we take it to him and we thank him for his answer. And we become incredible people of praise. Jot this last verse down if you would. Psalm 19. Perhaps to get us to a place where we could really say we're living by the kingdom pace. Let me call our attention to Psalm 19. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to start with verse 10. And this is talking about the word of God. The writer says this. The word's more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. The words are sweeter than honey even honey dripping from the comb. There are a warning to your servant. A great reward for those who obey them. Brothers and sisters, listen. The word is a warning to your servant, a reward for those who obey him. It doesn't say anything about responding to the world. Listen to 12. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I'll be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. And wherever you're at when I read this, please say amen and we're going to worship. Could we all say, walking by the kingdom of God, through the kingdom of pace of God, that we would say this every day 
to Jesus Christ, God the Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit. May the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer.